0: Finding the right transplant center is a little like finding the right car. You shop around, talk to the experts, and read the safety reviews before making a
1: decision. Thanks to robotic surgery, we have been able to actually serve a very large number of patients with IBMI with results that are certainly comparable to the best in the U.S.
0: That's Dr. Enrico Benedetti, Warren H. Cole, Chair in Surgery, Professor and Head of the Department of Surgery at the University of Illinois Health Center in Chicago. I'm Monica Fox, Director of Outreach and Government Relations for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, and your host. In this episode, Dr. Benedetti will share some of the advancements in transplant that are available at UI Health. Dr. Benedetti, why'd you become a transplant surgeon?
1: I I actually decided very early in my career while I was still in Italy and uh, before joining the University of Illinois for residency, I always wanted to become a transplant surgeon. I did the same in Florence and it was uh, like many years ago when transplant was not very successful Uh, and I actually have been privileged to be part of this incredible progress that has led to an exceptional result in almost all the organ transplant that we do. Not to say that we are done, there is still uh, a lot of things that can be and should be improved, but from if I look back uh, um, the last 35 years of my life, I can tell you that the progress has been nothing but spectacular.
0: That's awesome. And how long have you been at the University of Illinois, Chicago?
1: I started as a resident in 1989. I went uh, for fellowship at the University of Minnesota for two years, and then from September 94, I've been on staff. So quite a long time.
0: That is a long time. That's a a great tenure. We're fortunate that in Chicago, all of our transplant programs are very good. What makes your program different from the others?
1: I believe our uh, late motive, what has uh, determined our choice has been to uh, overcome challenge overcome uh, a problem with access, overcome technical issues. And just to give you an example, our work uh, on transplanting patients with IBMI that are typically uh, rejected in many transplant centers if their BMI is greater than 35. Well, thanks to robotic surgery, we have been able to actually serve a very large number of patients with IBMI, with results that are certainly comparable to the best in the U.S. I'm particularly proud of that program because, uh, as you well know, IBMI is particularly prevalent in minority population. And uh, we are serving mostly minority population at the University of Illinois. 55% of our kidney transplant patients are in African-American, another 30% uh, in Latinos, and the balance are Caucasian and Asian. So we are serving the population that the state university uh, should serve, and we are very proud of it.
0: That sounds like something to be proud of. Now tell me, why is the robotic system better for people with higher BMI?
1: Well, if you do open surgery, the same uh, uh, approach that has been very successful since 1954, when the first kidney transplant was done in Boston on identical twin pair, um, you have a, a pretty large incision in the lower part of the abdomen. and you to the right. Now, if you have a wound infection, uh, it's a pretty serious complication that uh, decrease the chance of graft as well of the patient's survival. Now, the higher your BMI, the higher is the rate of wound infection. That, For BMI of uh, 40, for example, is almost 30%, one in three. And uh, several studies have shown that it's not obesity per se that causes a lower success rate in IBMI patients. It's actually the wound infection that in turn uh, cause uh, is more uh, common in patients with IBMI that determine the bad outcome. With robotic surgery, we have a small incision on the upper part of the abdomen, only seven centimeters, and small cut for our robotic uh, arms. And in fact, uh, we have done over 400 of these cases with a single wound infection on one of the Trocker sites. I believe this is the key uh, element of our success the elimination of wound infection and, in general, wound complication.
0: Wow, that's amazing. 400 cases and only one case of infection?
1: Correct. That's Documented great. infection with positive you know, bacterial culture, only one case in a port, so it's a small cut that uh, was easy to care for.
0: Wow. And is surgical time and post-surgical recovery time improved with the robotic system?
1: So the surgical time initially was a lot longer than open. We started now taking seven hours, eight hours. Now a a kidney transplant in an obese individual would take three, four hours uh, even in open surgery. But lately, we are doing uh, the case almost uh, routinely within three and a half hours. So the time uh, went really down, and now is comparable to the open technique. Um, in terms of uh, length of stay of the patient, it's similar, um, but the patient has a lot uh, less pain and suffering because the incision in the upper abdomen, we can infiltrate with local anesthesia. It is small. We did not retract on it. so. Patient that for example had the first operation open and then later on we did a robotic retransplant, they can tell you the difference. The pain is a lot less with a minimal invasive approach.
0: Oh, that's less pain is much better. <laughs> I bet we can all agree on that. Um, So at NKFI, we speak with many people who've been turned down for transplant and feel discouraged. And we encourage them to get a full workup at another transplant center. Do you find that you're able to help people who've been turned down at other places?
1: Well, we have um, uh, two group of patients where frequently uh, we receive a referral after other center turned them down. Uh, I already mentioned the uh, biggest group, which is patient with IBMI. Um, the first time we published a paper, uh, an average of two center minimum turned down the patient before they came to us. But also there is another situation that is fairly common, especially in diabetic patients, in which because of the renal failure maybe be some uh, habits such as cigarette smoking and uh, actually diabetes, the patient developed calcification of the iliac arteries. The calcification make the vessel that we use to implant the kidney, they're called iliac arteries, quite hard and very difficult to actually clamp and work on. And we have developed several techniques that allow us to do these cases. So we receive a significant number of patients with calcification of the iliac artery turned down by other centers that we have been able to do almost invariably.
0: There are also people who have difficulty getting transplants due to high antibodies. Can you tell me about that?
1: Well, our program has been quite active on that area too. In fact, we published the largest series, for example, of African-American patient highly sensitized that have been transplanted using a mostly plasmophoresis-based protocol we have done uh, well over 150 of these patients highly sensitized. And it's one of the um, uh, reason why we, uh, we attract uh, some of the patients from other centers. Uh, not as many as the other two indications, but some. Uh, we have been pioneering the use of uh, complement inhibitors that is a strategy to minimize the damage that the antibodies cause to the transplanted kidney via this complement that is a group of protein in your blood that eventually destroy tissue and cells. And we have a drug that uh, can block that uh, particular uh, process. The same drug has been very helpful for us to do ABO incompatible kidney transplant. For everybody's information. Uh, among all the patients that are lucky enough to have a willing donor medically suitable, 30% of this case cannot be done either because of ABO incompatibility, the blood group is different, it's A into B, et cetera, or because they have these preformed antibodies that come from pregnancy, previous kidney transplant, blood transfusion. And for the group of patients that has uh, blood group incompatibility, This particular drug, Soliris, has been in our end exceptionally efficient in pretty much eliminating the risk to cross the blood barrier. So we have been uh, quite active and uh, I cannot give detail yet because the study is ongoing, but we have a a protocol uh, that seems to be very promising for this patient based on broccol bilatacept that we are currently perfecting. So more to follow.
0: And what are the barriers involved with that treatment plan?
1: Specifically, the Soliris is a, a drug that is defined orphan drug, meaning that was developed to take care of a very unusual disease, that is a pediatric disease with very few uh, children affected. So in order to encourage a drug company to invest in rare disease, the FDA has a program called Orphan Drug, in which the company that successfully proved uh, to be able to provide treatment for rare illness is awarded by an incredibly high price of the drug. And uh, the problem with Soliris is one of these incredibly expensive drug. In the ABO setting, actually I've been able to do with a single dose. So financially sustainable because the cost is actually inferior to do multiple session of plasmaphoresis, which is the standard approach. But I wish we had the way to uh, pretty much uh, allow all the patients to use this great drug that uh, American uh, uh, research produce with the incredible regularity, but then are very difficult to, to be used uh, because of the price tag. I mean, a, a drug like Soliris uh, costs uh, over $28,000 for a single dose.
0: What has to happen for that the price of that drug to come down so that it's more
1: accessible to others? Well, the definition of uh, orphan drug is the drug that uh, take care of disease that uh, affect less 200,000 people. Even if we take care of all the kidney transplant receiving the country, it's still an orphan drug. So for the foreseeable future, I don't think the drug uh, price will go down. What typically happen is that other company come up with similar drugs. And then the competition will drop the price. And I have no doubt that will happen again in this particular situation.
0: Have you had an occasion where this drug has been covered, uh, let's say, by Illinois Medicaid or Medicare?
1: Well, you see, the federal uh, um, insurance uh, and the state insurance are great because really cover a lot of our patient Um, they have in common that it is very difficult, especially for Medicare, impossible, to pre-certify the drug. So if a drug costs that kind of money, it's very difficult for hospitals to use without any certainty of reimbursement. We have done in special situations when we can use a limited number of doses. As I mentioned, um, for the living donor kidney transplant, a single dose has been... uh, uh, good enough for the ABO, ABO incompatible. We have done it, we just uh, covered the cost from the university and proceed.
0: Let's talk a little bit about people who might not be eligible for transplant. Uh, what, are, what are their
1: options? Well, the ineligibility for transplant depends on many factors. For example, inability to comply, and non-compliance is very difficult to fix is a pattern of behavior. And I'm actually personally not very likely to transplant patients that do not display the commitment that is necessary, right? So that one is hard to fix. There are situations, for example, they may be the victim of a drug addiction, and in many cases can be helped with a specialized program. Uh, Contraindication uh, uh, linked to poor cardiac function, Uh, you can optimize, and some of them will become candidates. I would say that in Illinois, the situation in which the patient does not have an insurance is almost unheard of. But for uh, no citizen of Illinois, even for uh, immigrants, Illinois has been incredibly generous to support uh, a renal failure patients that are undocumented immigrants. So, the I would say that a lot of progress has been made. Um, the new frontier in my mind. Uh, is for patients that are affected by uh, frailty. Being frail is a medical diagnosis and pretty much entail uh, a limited uh, ability uh, for physiological function, inability to maybe uh, engage in uh, uh, important physical activity and generally a weakness that prevent the patient even from being properly rehabilitated. Now, frailty in kidney transplant patients is present 20 to 40 percent of the case, depending on the nature of the program, and uh, is associated with increased death risk, both on dialysis and after kidney transplant. Of course, if you have a patient that has a problem, for example, age over 60, maybe BMI over 35, and uh, is also frail, even people like me that are quite aggressive uh, are. Pose before doing it right so maybe the patient will need a, a bariatric surgery to improve the weight maybe the patient will need a treatment a rehabilitation treatment to increase their strength mm-hmm. and that's what we have been concentrating at the university we have developed uh, in conjunction with a specialist uh, uh, that has proposed and uh, perfected a very innovative program uh, we have been able to provide uh, both post-transplant patient, pre-transplant patient with this incredible, efficient treatment of frailty. And uh, for post-transplant patients, uh, this treatment is called GH method, has been able to increase the return to work from 5-8% to 55-60%. But for uh, renal failure patients that are even weaker, even more delicate, I've seen uh, some uh, situation of near miracle, uh, wheelchair-bound patients that within three months were able to walk. And some of them uh, we have been able to list and transplant thanks to the uh, exercise program. So I'm very, very interested in this program. And I'm sort of pleased to uh, tell you that uh, in our new transplant clinic, they will be available to all our patients, pre and post because we have a dedicated room with all the proper machine in which we, we will treat the patient after transplant. They come in the morning, they get the blood draw, usually they wait two, three hours. Well, during these two, three hours, we'll put them to exercise to increase their chance of returning to work and to school, of course, if they're young. Um, we'll also open that particular facility for pre-transplant patients with frailty in some case will improve their performance to the point that they can be listed and invariably will increase their chance to go successfully through the transplant event. So you can tell that uh, it's one of the uh, issues that I'm most passionate, and I believe has been uh, frequently neglected by me as much as by my colleagues. But I believe it's time that we address frailty and uh, actually make a big effort to increase the ability of the patient to cope after transplant by improving their physical strength.
0: That is absolutely amazing, and that's very exciting. My next question for you, you actually just answered it because I was gonna ask you what exciting things are happening for transplant in the future at UI Health, but that, you know, your new clinic and having a room there, where all of the patients will be eligible to participate in the exercise study while they're waiting to be seen uh, by the doctor, is that's very exciting.
1: Yeah, and you know, it's no longer a study. We are using what we learn in our study as a treatment. Okay. We we have been able to prove uh, convincingly and publish in peer review journal that patients do get better. And uh, now we want actually to uh, offer everybody that is in our program this opportunity. That is fantastic.
0: Well, this has been an amazing conversation. And the advancements that you have um, going on at UI Health for transplant patients are absolutely amazing. And I want to thank you uh, for your time with this conversation. Transplant is the best treatment plan for many people with chronic kidney disease. It's important to remember that if you want a transplant and are turned down at one center, there may be another center who can help. If you want to learn more about the advances in transplant medicine that are available at University of Illinois Health in Chicago, go to hospital.uillinois.edu. I'm Monica Fox, and this is the journey continues. Prevention is a key part of our mission at NKFI. That's why at the end of the episode, Dr. Melissa Press offers a health or nutrition tip.
2: Here's today's health tip about sleep. Getting good sleep quality is essential for your health and well-being. Adults need about 7 to 9 hours of sleep each night not getting enough sleep has been found to be associated with the development of chronic illnesses like diabetes heart disease obesity and depression you may not be getting good quality sleep if you wake up in the morning and do not feel rested if you've repeatedly woken up during your sleep hours or if you're experiencing symptoms of sleep disorders such as snoring or gasping for air Improving sleep quality may be helped by better sleep habits or being diagnosed and treated for any sleep disorder you may have. Good sleep habits, sometimes referred to as sleep hygiene, should be done 30 to 60 minutes before your sleep time every day. Examples of habits that can be used to improve your sleep health include being consistent by going to bed at the same time each night and getting up at the same time each morning, including on the weekends. Engaging in some relaxing activities like taking a warm bath or shower, doing gentle stretches, meditating, focusing on your breathing, or spending some time reading a book that isn't on an electronic reading device. Make sure your bedroom is quiet, dark, relaxing, and at a comfortable temperature. Remove electronic devices such as televisions, computers, and smartphones from your bedroom. Avoid large meals, caffeine, and alcohol before bedtime. Get in some exercise during the day, as this can help you fall asleep more easily at night. And limit napping during the day, as this can disrupt your ability to fall asleep later. If you do need to nap, keep it to 30 minutes or less and avoid napping later in the afternoon. If you've implemented good sleep habits, or you're still having difficulty with your sleep, or the sleep difficulties continue to impact your day, talk with your healthcare provider for further care. With today's health tip, I'm Melissa Press, a registered dietitian-nutritionist and the foundation dietitian for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois.
0: The Journey Continues is brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois and sponsored by Donate Life Illinois. To learn more about kidney disease and living donation, visit www.nkfi.org. To register to become an eye, tissue, and organ donor, visit lifegoeson.com. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to and leave a review for The Journey Continues in Apple Podcasts
2: or wherever you like to listen. This podcast is produced by Rivet. To hear more great podcasts, visit rivet360.com.